According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, once again in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. We'll see how long my voice holds up tonight. thought about calling Lewis, but he's home with an ear infection. Also, Wes Beck has an ear infection. We're just a bunch of sickies around here, I tell you. It's just something else. But thankfully, though, we've got a uh, training ministry, and uh, there are men stepping into the pulpit for the first time ever. And so uh, the more we do on that, the, uh, the more substitute teachers we're, uh, we're preparing for. So that's good news. Appreciate that. All right. This thing is bugging me tonight. All right, we'll try that. You have never seen me wear this shirt before. It's the first time I've ever worn it in the state of Texas. I'd had to bust into my Ukrainian wardrobe for uh, the cold weather this morning. I thought, that's crazy. How does that work? How does that happen? But anyway, thankful I've got a duffel bag ready to go for cold weather trips to Ukraine and came in handy this morning. All right, we ready to record? Or we are recording. Oh, hey, great. All right, we're recording. Let's open with a word of prayer, call upon our Father to set aside our distractions and to bless our time in His Word tonight. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this evening, thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for your truth, and calling upon your faithfulness, Father, to guide us into the truth. I thank you for brothers and sisters that are humble, that, Father, with humility we, we receive the Word implanted that is able to save our souls. And so, Father, we commit to you our time tonight for the questions that are asked, the answers that are given, the word that's studied, the fellowship that's engaged in, everything that takes place, might it be for the glory of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, this is uh, checking my phone and the noise-making status. If uh, you want to silence that, put it on silent or mute or vibrate. No, there's too much vibrating around here anyway. Let's just leave it on mute. Let it go like that. All right. Uh, is the microphone ready to go? We can take a question. There we are. All right. So who would like to have our leadoff question tonight? We'll give Mr. Bill Kelly our leadoff question tonight. They'll be over there in the corner, back row. Sorry, I left uh, Spider-Man at home tonight, so appreciate the substitute. Um. Earlier I started the homiletics uh, course through Grace Notes and was reading um, Dr. Fry's uh, Elementary of Homiletics. Uh-huh. And within the first chapter, he had mentioned several times about the church year and all the festivals and festivities that go on uh, throughout, sched- throughout the year at scheduled times, different types of teaching that would be adequate for whatever festival or whatever. Oh, what yeah, yeah. is the church year and what are those festivals or okay. festivities? Yeah, marvelous question. And unless you grew up Catholic or Lutheran or Episcopalian or something, then, then, you, then you're clueless. I was clueless. I had no idea. Because uh, in the Old Testament, Israel was given a calendar. And they had the Feast of Passover and, Pentecle- and Pentecost and Tabernacles and all the, you know, Day of Atonement and all that. Well, in the New Testament, no such thing. <laughs> okay, so <coughs> in the early church, uh, there were attempts that were made to create something like that. 
And that's what they did. And so to, it still exists to this day. It's very big. It's called the liturgical calendar. And so you have Advent, for example, the Christmas season. You have uh, Epiphany. You have Easter. You have, uh, there's ordinary time. There's, uh, which cracks me up. There's, there's other terms for different things. And, uh, and, and so when, if you're in a liturgical church, you can always tell because um, the, 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 the tablecloth is going to match the, the priest's uh, stole in terms of color, sometimes it's purple, sometimes it's white, sometimes it depends on the season, right? And then they'll have banners maybe, it just depends. And that's what, that's what the, the Advent calendar is all about, or the, the, the church year calendar. And it's nowhere in the New Testament. It's nowhere, it's totally made up. It's, it, there's no New Testament foundation for any of it. And um, so it's interesting, uh, in the Reformation, uh, Luther and Calvin and those guys, they did away with all of it, including Christmas, by the way. And it wasn't until a couple centuries later that Christmas started to ease back into things. Easter started to ease back into things. Easter's the biggest one. Easter's like the high holy day for Christendom, uh, bigger than Christmas. And uh, so anyway, um, at the founding of our country, by the way, uh, the, the Protestants that founded most of our colonies wanted no part of Christmas. They viewed that as, as, as part of the papacy and part of the, the you know, apostasy of the Roman, Roman church. So. But that's what that is. So yeah, uh, the textbook is written by a Lutheran. So that's kind of his... That's his realm. So when he talks about it, that's that's where he's coming from. Yeah. Okay. Another one. Um, if if God created everything, mm-hmm. who created evil? That's a marvelous question. Yeah, yeah. Um, because not everything came into existence by direct creation. Some things came into existence as a consequence of volition. So Adam and Eve sinned, and they made a choice. And so uh, I, I call that consequential generation. And so they were generated into existence as a consequence of volition being exercised. And the same thing with evil, same thing with Satan. When Satan became a fallen creature, evil came into existence as a consequential generation of the volition that God created, the volition that God designed. So God is not the author of evil, except in certain theologies uh, where God controls every choice and everything and then he's just a puppet master with absolute dictatorial control and he and in that kind of a theology he is the author of evil and he does predestine the unbeliever to hell but that's not that's not our theology that's not scripture so when we talk of man's original sin Mm -hmm. of course that's relating back to Adam but the actual original original sin was Satan himself when he chose to rebel. Yes, Adam's sin preceded, I'm sorry, Satan's sin preceded Adam's sin. But it was Adam's sin that actually created the sphere, the estate, the lost estate of of sin in Adam, right? Because Adam was the federal head. All, All of humanity was in Adam when Adam sinned. And so when Adam sinned, that estate of sin, right? Romans says that through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. That's because Adam uh, as, a, as a procreating species, as a, as a race, we were all in Adam when Adam sinned, so we all sinned. And that's the nature there. Now when Satan sinned, there was nothing positional about that. There was nothing, there was no estate. All the other fallen angels, they weren't born in Satan, right? They all felt, followed his system of evil when they rebelled, when his tail swept them away. And so there's a big difference between the human fall and the angelic fall in, in how that is accounted in God's uh, judicial imputations. Thank you. Uh-huh. No, marvelous questions. I appreciate those. I appreciate those. All right, what else tonight? Other questions? <coughs> I'm feeling terrible, by the way, so...
Make them, make them easy questions, if you would, like the origin of evil. <laughs> uh, Susie, you got one? There we go. Not exactly the origin of evil. Okay. And um, I have no idea what the previous question was, so I apologize. Um, but I, I was watching something last night. It was a, um, I won't get into details, but it was a sermon of sorts, and it was talking about how um, it made me question what, uh, when and if in the Bible it says that um, if you do not believe in the Son of God, if you do not believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that you are going to go to the lake of fire. So in the spirit of evil, right. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I just wondered if there's a place that it says that those specific consequences of not believing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. John 3, John 6, uh, 1 John. I think again and again, he who believes has eternal life. He who does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Right, but the lake of fire specifically. Right. Like, that's Revelation chapter 20. So when death and Hades, that's when the, uh, the unbelievers are resurrected, uh, the small and the great. Death and Hades are emptied. Even death and Hades themselves stand before the great white throne. And then they're cast into the lake of fire forever and ever, we're told. So that would be Revelation chapter 20. And that's the, uh, that's, uh, it's not popular these days because uh, it, um, it seems uh, harsh and it doesn't line up with uh, progressive uh, sentimentalities. But eternal wrath is consistent with eternal justice, and that's who our God is. So uh, the realm of the lake of fire is designed for the eternal destruction of those who reject, uh, re- reject his son. So yeah, I would go to uh, Revelation chapter 20, and that's where the, uh, the lake of fire is going to be mentioned anyway. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, I mean, that's it. It's, that's the criteria. And, and outside uh, of Revelation, like it, and in the, in the context of John and where it's, it is speaking about um, that the wrath of God abides upon him, mm-hmm. uh, is it, is it, do we know that it's referring directly to um, your name being written in the book of life when you have believed? Is there another reference in the New Testament that talks about the, your name being written in the book of life? Several. Several in the okay. New Testament and the Old Testament, right. Okay. And there's even uh, tragic uh, verses that talk about having the name blotted out of the book of life, mm-hmm. which bugs a lot of people too. The Arminians love it because they think that supports their loser salvation doctrine, but um, it doesn't do any such thing. But the idea of your name being blotted out of the book of life to me is a marvelous testimony of God's grace who wants for nobody to perish but for all to come to repentance. And so that in my, in my understanding of that, uh, every human that's ever lived is, is written, and then when they die having rejected the gospel, he blots them out. And, uh, and, and that's when they, they go to hell and their name is not found in the book of life. Okay, so last question about this. So do we believe that God created hell? Or how was hell created? Yeah, yeah. That's the dimension that he created as a... As a and it's, it's only the holding tank because that's what Hades is here, death and Hades. And, and if it wasn't for, you know, this passage here talking about the lake of fire, uh, there's more in the Bible about hell and Hades than there is about the lake of fire. Right. But here's where we learn that, that hell is, is a temporary holding place, or Hades is temporary, until the great white throne, and then, and then from there is when they're cast into the lake of fire forever. No possibility of parole, we would say. But that, that, by the way, if you ever study that and think about that, because these, these unbelievers that die without Christ, they die without hope, they die without eternal life, they die and they go to hell. 
The rich man went to hell. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, right? And, and yet, what does Jesus say? On judgment day, they're going to stand there and say, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did this, we did this in your name. And they've already been in hell for whatever length of time, you know, but they get brought out of hell to stand at the great white throne where they start making excuses. And, uh, you know, like, excuse me, Lord, there must be some mistake. You sent me to hell for no reason, you know, because I've been, I've been serving you all this time. That uh, I think people miss that when, when Jesus said that they say, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. They've already been in hell before hell gets emptied and they stand before the great white throne. And then they go to the, to the lake of fire after that. So yeah, again, that's, uh, that's Revelation chapter 20. Okay. Good question though, appreciate that. All right, we're going to come to the front row then and we're going to be bipartisan so we can cross the aisle and come over here to the right side of the room. We've already heard enough from those lefties. I know, I just stir things up, don't I? It's terrible. There you go. So to continue the, the questions about salvation. Huh? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an assumption before I ask my question. My assumption is that the person I'm going to describe is absolutely sincere. Uh-huh. In other words, they mean what they say uh-huh. or they think. Okay, so if, they, if someone believes that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, mm-hmm. they also believe that they didn't do that on their own, but they were given that faith by some supernatural agency. They're still saved, right? Yes. Yes. Because the bottom line is your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, not all the other baggage you bring to something. Right, right. And what you're talking about is Reformed theology or Calvinism, depending. And, and yes, they will claim that, uh, that the faith they exercised uh, was not them doing it, that it was God doing it. Okay? And I think that's misguided. Uh, but nevertheless, they still believed in Christ for eternal life. And so I think the grace of God saves them. Even if it's kind of like, too, I think a lot of the lordship people, they, they believe in Jesus and then they also dedicate their lives to, hit, to obeying his lordship. Um, uh, I think they're saved also because they believe in Christ. And if, if there's a faulty gospel and whatever, the Holy Spirit, sovereign and omnipotent, can, can overcome the faulty gospel. I will caution one thing, though. Um, it is useful, and people don't do this, but it is useful to, in your mind, in your thinking, create or understand that there is a difference between believing that and believing in, right? So when you get saved, the object of our faith is Christ. Believe in Christ for eternal life, right? But it's not that. It's not a fact. It's not data. It's not information. See, like uh, in taking it away from death, burial, resurrection at the moment, well, what about, you know, I believe he was born of a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. Okay, so now, does believing that fact, believing that fact, does that, does that give me eternal life? I believe that he was uh, of the tribe of David, of the royal family. Does believing that fact give me eternal life? Okay, and so I can believe a whole lot of facts and never trust Christ for eternal life, right? And at the same time, too, I think I can be oblivious to all kinds of facts and still believe in Christ for eternal life. So this was a discussion we had at Schaefer two years ago when a man told me I wasn't saved when I thought I was saved because in his view, and he's a real smart PhD kind of guy, but in his view, and he's written books on this, um, if you don't understand the deity of Christ, if you don't know that he, what Jesus was the God-man, 
that he was undiminished deity, true humanity, united together in one person forever. If you just think he was a dude, a guy, that you know, a man that went to the cross to, to pay for my sins, that's what I thought. I thought Jesus was a man. And he went to the cross and he never sinned and he was perfect and he took my place and I understood substitutionary atonement and all that. I knew I was a sinner. And I believed in Jesus for eternal life, but I didn't learn about his deity until Sunday school six months later. All right? And then I learned it in Sunday school. I learned about his deity and hypostatic union, how the word became flesh and how God came down and became a man. And then I learned that. So I still to this day believe I was saved early and then with a living human spirit and God the Holy Spirit teaching me, I was able to learn all these other doctrines along the way. The stuff I was ignorant of along the way, right? This, this uh, speaker told me, oh no, you, you can't be saved if you don't if you're not believing in, in the God-man, kinsman-redeemer. So, uh, because if you don't know that, if you don't understand that, then you're trusting in a different Jesus, you're believing a, a false gospel, and you're accursed. Uh, well, okay, let's, let's debate that. But anyway, um, I, I agree with Jesus when he says the gospel is simple, faith is as a child, and when you trust in Christ, it's for eternal life. So it's not facts. Did he die on the cross? You can believe that he died on the cross but not trust Christ for eternal life. See, because you're still trusting in your human good, your merit, your, your works, you're still trusting in whatever, your religion, your church membership. Until you trust in Christ, you don't have eternal life. That's what it comes down to. So does that make sense? Okay. Because, yeah, some people, uh, they talk about believe that he died on the cross, believe that this, believe that that. Well, facts are great, but believing facts is not what we're asked to do. We're, we're, we're told, believe in Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So, Difference between believe in and believe that. And anyway, there's a, there's a whole semester of theology right there. <laughs> you can go to Dallas and pay big money for that. Spend weeks and weeks. All right, anything else tonight? Excellent questions. Back to the back row again. Thank you, sir. And then we'll get to uh, our text in uh, Philippians 2. I want to wrap up uh, verses 1 and 2 and get ready for... Kenosis. You uh, said earlier that even death and Hades will stand before the great white throne judgment. Um, can you expound on that a little bit? Death, Hades <laughs> being actual judgeable as far as, you know, the unbelievers? You know, it is, it is a curious thing uh, because we tend to think of those as places rather than beings, all right? And yet Abaddon is referred to as a being, Sheol is a place, but Abaddon is a being and a place. And so is it possible that Hades is a being and a place? I mean, the Greeks called Hades their, their god, you know, the Romans called him Pluto and whatever. Um, I don't have all the answers on this, but I, I just read what it says here in Revelation 20. Uh, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, plural books, a whole encyclopedia set of our works. And then another book was opened, which is different from that set of books, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books, plural, according to their deeds. And so there's inequality in the lake of fire. And the worst of the worst are in the worst of the worst as far as that goes. The criteria for whether they go to heaven or go to the lake of fire is whether their name is in the, lake, in, in the book of life. And that's what it says here. And then it says, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. So who are the dead that are in the sea that aren't in death and Hades? It's another classification, another great mystery. And uh, death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And so that's, uh, that's all we got. That's all we got. So 
Uh, you can read it like I just read it, and, and that's all we got. So um, I'm, I'm reluctant to, you know, draw a line in the sand and die on a hill there when we've got very sketchy information related to uh, Thanatos and, and Hades for uh, death in Hades. Yeah. All right. Well, then, appreciate that. If I didn't get to you, uh, shoot me an email, and I'll put you to the front of the line for next week. We're still talking about Make My Joy Complete. <coughs> and Paul outlines four steps. Four steps that's going to get that done. Make my joy complete. And uh, under point four, we were looking at the plerao vocabulary. And this is just a marvelous word study. If you want to pursue it, I recommend it. The verb is plerao. The noun is pleroma. We've got an adjective that's playrace. And it speaks of fullness, like being filled with the Spirit. Or uh, other kinds of fullness that we're told. Fill up then the measure of your sins, Jesus told the Pharisees. Uh, or fill my joy, make my joy complete. And there was nothing, it, it is, it's not really the remedy of a deficiency, but it's just the recognition that there's something greater that can be attained. There was nothing wrong with Paul's joy, but he wanted them to fulfill it, to fill it, to, to join with him in his joy. And, uh, and that's what he describes here. And so uh, we took the time to look at those. We saw a couple other points. Uh, you can read Kittle if you want. And, uh, and then I recommend the Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia. If you want, uh, I'll make PDFs out of those and, and send those to you. But now when we get to point five, we've got an outline, four steps to do this. Paul says, make my joy complete, and then he tells them how to do it. Make my joy complete by... And I like the, the helping word by that's in there. Um, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so there's four things there, but those four things are lined up in what's called a chiasm. All right, They're lined up in, a, in an X, in a crisscross. And so I've indented them to reflect that. The, the being of the same mind is parallel with intent on one purpose. In fact, it's the same verb in both clauses. It's the same thinking verb. It means think the same way. Think the same thing. And then the middle two, maintaining the same love and united in spirit really should be synchronized in soul. And I'm going to show you that tonight as we, uh, as we look at these things. And so these four are a paired uh, chiasmus. Some people pronounce it chiasmus, but I prefer chiasmus. And anyway, it's a chiastic structure from the Greek letter chi. It's the capital letter X or chi in, uh, in Greek. And uh, so that's what we have here. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. What this does not say is follow your cult leader and we'll all get along great. Okay? It does not say think the same way and everybody agrees with me. It doesn't say that. Because the pastor's included, Paul's included, that all of us have to have the mind which is in Christ. And that's what we get to with the kenosis passage here in verses 3 and following. Uh, specifically verse 5, think this way in yourselves, uh, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a thinking term and it speaks to our attitude. Attitude shapes thinking, but thinking also can shape attitude. And uh, this is what the passage describes. So if they do this, if the flock of believers in Philippi does this, it's going to play rao Paul's joy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take what's already an amazing joy and it's just going to play rao it in, in dimensions Paul uh, is just drooling uh, over uh, thinking about. So that's, uh, 
That's why I outlined it that way. All right, so you understand why I gave you the whole ABCD outline like that up front. Now we're going to go back and give you the details on the A, the B, the C, and the D. I'm just giving you up front the ABCD visually, graphically, so that you can see it, and then you can see that the B and the C are indented as parallel, while the A and the D are parallel. There might be other ways to diagram it as well if, uh, if you need that. But that's what a, a chiastic structure is. And we've seen tons of them in Proverbs. There's a lot of them in, you know, throughout the Bible. And uh, we've seen some in Proverbs and, and other places. All right. So being of the same mind literally means think the same thing. Ta auta franita. Ta auta franita. And that's an imperative. That's a command. Franita, that's a, that's a second person plural present active imperative, right? And uh, actually it's a subjunctive, but it's, it's operating as an imperative because it's fleshing out the imperative of make my joy complete. And so uh, franeo, franeo means to think. It's like the, if you're schizophrenic, that means your, your frame has been, has been schizoed. Your frame has been severed or divided. Okay? So the frame is the mind, and franeo is to think. And specifically, franeo is to be minded. To be minded. Because there's so many words for thinking. The, the Greeks were great thinkers, and they had different words for thinking. They had logizomai, to reckon or, or, or logically consider. They have other words for thinking. They have words for supposing. They have words for pretending. Um, but this word for phreneo is, is really hold a, a mindset. Hold a mindset. No, don't just think about it. Think about it to the point that you now have a mindset. Your mind is settled. And, uh, and that's, that should be what it is. So have this mindset. I like the term mindset. Be of the same mind. Have this attitude. Have this mindset. Think the same thing. And, uh, you know, Freneo does have 26 uses in the New Testament, and most of them are here. Okay? I think 10 of them are in Philippians. It's just a dominant, dominant uh, book that stresses thinking. And we're accountable for our thinking. If we're thinking the wrong way, God's going to show that to us. If we have a different attitude, God's going to spotlight that. And, uh, and he's good at that. He's a great attitude adjuster. And uh, he's been doing it a long time. He's qualified and well-rehearsed in uh, adjusting our attitude. And so um, this term that we had back in chapter 1 and verse 7 where he said, it is only right for me to think this way about you all. If you've got one of those terrible English translations that says feel, right? It's only right that I feel this way about you all. Well, then um, you're on the verge of tipping into liberalism. <laughs> it's, I'm teasing. It's not a touchy-feely term. It's a thinking term. Now, it'll get to the touchy-feely in uh, verse 8. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. But the, the thinking in verse 7 is not touchy-feely. The thinking in verse 7 is righteous thinking. For it is right, it is dikaios, it is righteous for me to phroneo, think this way about you all, since I have you in my cardia, my innermost being. And again, heart communicates some touchy-feely and it gets pretty sloppy with how people handle that. Anyway, we handle that. And back in chapter 1. Here in chapter 2, we've got the two uses here. The A part and the, and the D part of verse 2. Uh, being of the same mind is a phreneo use. And intent on one purpose is a phreneo use. It's the same verb. Why do they translate it different ways? So uh, being of the same mind, having the same mindset. If you want to 
Render it like that. Also, verse 5, have this mindset in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think this way. If you're thinking a different way than how Christ thunk, then, then we're wrong. We've got to change that. And it's, uh, it's all about humility. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And we're supposed to empty ourselves. We lay aside our privileges. We don't claim that we're worthy of anything. We're serving one another in the body of Christ. That's Christ-like. Over to chapter 3, we've got two uses in verse 15. And one use in verse 19. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, or telao, right? We're talking about perfection and being completed. As many as are being completed, are you on that track? Have this attitude, have this mindset. And if in anything you have a different phroneo, a different mindset, God will reveal that also to you. The amazing thing about growing in grace and knowledge is that it spotlights the things that have to be adjusted. That with humility we, re- we receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. And uh, the blessings that it does when it spotlights the uh, things that need to be adjusted. God will reveal that also to you. Verse 19, talking about the enemies. And uh, sometimes, you know, you've got you to protect the flock and you've got to deal with it when uh, uh, somebody like this comes in. So join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. There's a good pattern. Paul says he's the good pattern. But then there's a bad pattern. Many walk, of whom I often told you and tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So what are you going to do when those guys come in? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, and who set their minds, who phroneo, on earthly things. We don't forneto on earthly things. We're told to forneto on heavenly things. Since then you've been raised up with Christ. Seek the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Chapter 4 and verse 2. These women that couldn't get along. They, they could earlier. He remembers back to when they weren't fighting. And he praises them for it. Chapter 4 and verse 2. I urge Yodia and I urge Siddiqui to live in harmony in the Lord. And live in harmony is phroneo, to think in unity in the Lord. If you're thinking in unity, do you think that affects the behavior? Okay? If you're thinking in unity, how do you, how do you harbor mental attitude sin against a sister when you're thinking in unity with Christ, considering the other is more important than yourself? So if you're thinking the right way, behavior follows. And that's a beautiful principle. And then twice in uh, verse 10, um, this is about the, uh, the finances that they were able to send. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your thinking for me. That's what a financial grace gift often is, saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm mindful of you and your ministry. I appreciate your ministry and, and your need, and I realize you're in jail now. And, and uh, they didn't have the opportunity before. They were concerned before. They were mindful before, but they lacked opportunity. So it might be that you're in a season, a thin season right now, and all you've got is prayer. That's great. When the day comes that that you're in a different kind of season and you can add to those prayers with something tangible, that's great too. God's not holding it against you because uh, you don't have it. Anyway, it goes into uh, those kind of details here. And that's what we have. All right, so being of the same mind, thinking the same thing, 
Make my joy complete by being of the same mind and maintaining the same love, having the same agape love. Having the same agape love. And the, the syntax on this is identical. It's, it's tain outain agapein ekontes. Right? Just like in the first phrase, it was ta out ta franita. And I realize if you don't read Greek, then maybe this means nothing to you. But at least you can read along and see there's a ta out ta, there's a tain outain right there. Tau ata franita. There's your, there's your verb. Okay? Same thing down here. Tain outain, and there's our verb, ekontes, having, and having what? Having the same love. The only difference is ta out ta doesn't have a noun like agape. It's just the same thing. It's a neuter noun. It's a neuter pronoun. So we supply the word thing. Think the same thing and love the same love. Think the same thing and love the same love. How about that? Have the same love. That's what we have here. And so again, what is this? Is this loving Paul? You know, if you guys love me, that's great because I love me and then we can all just... uh, (coughs) No. Paul loves Jesus. Okay, this is the first love that John writes about in Revelation 3. And, and this is the same love. love. Have the same love. Have the same love. And how do you even have love anyway? This was a question I thought we were going to get tonight based on the discussion earlier today, is how do you have faith? Where does faith come from? And these, these uh, abstract concepts, how are these abstract concepts generated? Like how is evil generated? How is faith generated? Where does, where does faith come from? See, and what is our capacity to do this? I think humanity is marvelously capable of generating any number of conceptual abstract things. And it's beautiful the way God has suited us to do that. See, and so um, if I may, do I have time? Yes, I may. Um, the, uh, the beauty of, 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 of an abstract thing, okay, whether it's faith or love or or uh, whatever, uh, humor, confusion, okay? Technically speaking, these things don't exist until we generate them, right? So I'm not sitting up here tonight with a pocket full of confusion, and now I'm going to pull out my confusion, and I'm going to hit you with it and confuse everybody, right? But if I start rambling and drooling and doing nonsensical stuff, and, and, and I really start confusing everybody in the room, what then have I generated? I've generated some confusion. Confusion has consequentially been generated and come into existence. I can do the same thing with humor. I start telling jokes, I start doing funny stuff and making everybody laugh. And so as I humor the audience, then the abstract concept of humor is now in the room. It's now been generated. It's now here. Okay, you ever think about that? So where does faith come from? See, when a believer, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Okay, Romans 10. But, but specifically now, along the lines of my illustration, God has made promises in His Word. We read that Word or we listen to that Word. We respond to that Word. And then we trust God for the faithfulness of what He said. The activity is believing. And as I believe what God said, what has just then come into existence? Okay? And keep it that way. Please, keep it that way. These things come into existence by virtue of the activity. Okay? Maybe I stand up here and I scare everybody. So then fear has come into existence. 
But, but these aren't tangible things. These are, these, are, these, are, these are items, conceptual things, right? But they're not tangible things. So I don't have a storehouse of faith that if I have a whole lot of it, I can use more of it. Or a storehouse of love that if I have a whole lot of it, then I can love a lot of people. These are activities. The more people I'm loving, what is then consequentially generated then as an abstract noun, as a concept? Okay. Think about that. All right? And, 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 and I think it'll help in some regards when um, other folks want to like quantify faith and act like it's a, something God gives you so that you can then use it. Okay? And if he doesn't give it to you, you can't use it. And uh, nobody can believe unless God gives you the faith up front and makes you believe. See, that's the Calvinism we were talking about earlier. So, anyway, if that helps, no extra charge, um, but that's what we have. All right, maintaining the same love. So, let me ask you, if I don't love anybody ever, can I honestly say I have love? You know? I think there's a long line of people that all claim to have love, but I never see it. You never see it. Other people never see it. You say you have love, but who who do you love? Who have you been loving? Okay. When John tells uh, Ephesus to uh, to uh, return to their first love, he says, "Do the deeds you did at first. So if I love my wife, I love my children, I love God, I love my church, I love you know the more people that I'm loving, what am I doing? I'm increasing my capacity. I'm, I'm generating this abstract thing called love, right? <coughs> And the Holy Spirit works in that. And most of these are fruits of the Spirit anyway. So the Holy Spirit will produce that as I'm engaged in these activities. All right, so maintaining the same love. And First John goes into this. If I say I love my brother, but I see him in, in uh, daily need and I close my heart against him and I don't, I don't provide for his needs, how then, how then do I love him? Am I, am I walking in love at that point? First John says I'm not. Now here's a fun one. It's united in spirit. And I don't like the word spirit there because it's not pneuma, it's psuche. And psuche is the word for soul. And soul and spirit are not interchangeable. Sometimes they're used loosely. But this is not a loose usage. Um, this is sum psukos. Sum psukos. And so the S-U-M prefix, Right? If you are, if somebody is pathetic and you are sum pathetic, <laughs> all right, we get that. We know what that is, because they're pathetic and I'm sum pathetic. I'm I'm pathetic right there with them. The the sum or soon prefix sometimes it's an n like synchronize, soon chronos. Okay, uh, so sometimes it's an s u n, sometimes it's s u m. Either way, it's the same prefix. <coughs> and here it's sum psukos. And I think it's just a, it's a matter of the lips. It's a matter that the M is easier to lead into a P than the, uh, than the N is easier to lead into a P. So the Greeks would just say sumpsukos. And that's the term. And this is the only place in the New Testament it shows up. However, nearby we've got some other terms. And back in chapter 1 we had, a, I think, an equivalent expression. So it's the only place that sumpsukos shows up. It's that, what we call a hapax legomena, the only place in the New Testament but I like the idea of a sink sold, right? You ever sink your, your uh, data, you sink your iPad, or you sink, your, you sink something up? Your music player has to sink with uh, 
your music library on your desktop or whatever you're doing. You're going to synchronize whatever. Um, but here we are linking, we are syncing our soul or our suke. So I don't know, if I want to make up a word, maybe I'll make up a word like psychiatric, which I don't like, or sync sold or whatever. I don't like any of them. But there's got to be something that helps to communicate sum sukas, that I am of one soul. Now there is nearby an equivalent, well, maybe equivalent, called isopsukas. And what's the iso prefix about? If you have like an isotope, or you have uh, other iso expressions. All right. Well, look down to verse 20. I think he was sync sold with uh, Timothy, <coughs> and yet he changed up the, the terminology. It's called here kindred spirit, which should also be, I think, kindred sold because it's psukos. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. And that's isopsukos right there. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else. And notice he doesn't say, uh, he's not about the academics. He says, I have nobody else that's in fourth year Greek and third year Hebrew and, and uh, there's none of that. It's about his shepherd heart in ministering to the saints. And there's a whole lot of men that have got the finest impeccable academic credentials you could ever shake a stick at and they're the last people you want shepherding a flock because they don't have the shepherd heart. But he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. You realize who he's, he's talking about Luke, he's talking about Titus, he's talking about Aristarchus, he's talking about Demas. Of course, we know he bails out. But there's a lot of other good men that are faithful, just not at this stage. At this stage, they're not yet ready. And Paul has to know that. Don't lay hands on a man too hastily. So they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. You see, hey, there's some real humility in this guy. Okay? If you don't see that humility, that's a problem. If all you see is pride and arrogance, that's a problem. Why, why do you think you're going to shepherd a church? You're, you're pretty boastful. All right? You're too, you're, too, uh, you're too good to teach Sunday school? You, just, you only teach adults because you have a pastor-teacher gift? Are you kidding me? Teach Sunday school. Most kids ask great questions. You learn a lot teaching Sunday school. Okay? And then change diapers in the nursery. Oh, you're above that. Okay. Man tells me that he's never going to change a diaper in the nursery and how dare you, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you're too prideful for that? Good to know. All right. We'll factor that into your readiness for ordination. How about that? Because I'm not going to lay hands on a man that's arrogant. That's just going to blow up a a flock and then I would share the guilt. I'm not going to share that guilt. We also had a phrase, it's not a single word, but back in Philippians 1, there was a a couple of prepositional phrases in verse 27. Remember this? Philippians 1, 27. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Yeah, only that. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, and here we get to it, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one soul. Now, it says mine there, but it's one spirit and one psukos. Striving together with the, for the faith of the gospel. 
And so there, one spirit, one soul, or one mind. Remember that the intellect, the mentality is in the mind, is in the, in the soul, not the spirit. And, uh, and there it is. The unbelievers have minds, even if they don't have living human spirits. So, being of the same mind, having the same love, sink sold. Sink sold. And then finally, the one thing thinking. The one thing thinking. Literally, that's what it is. Ta hen, the one, franuntus. It's a part, present participle for thinking. So uh, when we had phreneo before, it was a present active subjunctive. Here, it's a present active participle, and it's, it's just reduplicating what we already saw under point A. The one thing thinking. The one thing thinking. Not two things, the one thing. Okay? This is where it's good <coughs> to be on a one-track mind. Right? Maybe your parents told you you had a one-track mind, or your wife tells you you have a one-track mind, or somebody at work tells you you've got a one-track mind. And usually when they say that, it's a track they don't like for some reason. All right? Well, this passage describes a one-track mind in a good way. Okay? Which is what leads us into the have this mind which is in Christ Jesus. That's the one mind. That's the one we want. We want to be Christ-like. I want to be more like Him every day. Every day. More like Him. All right, now the last thing I want to deal with before we move on (coughs) to kenosis is the Pleroma language combined with joy. I mentioned this earlier in passing, uh, back under uh, whatever point that was, point four, when we were looking at all the Pleroma verbs. I said we were going to come back to this idea before we're done. So here we are. Although Paul does have other passages where the Pleroma language is employed together with joy, specifically Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 7, 2 Timothy 1, he does have other passages where he does that. It's not the only place when he says, make my joy complete, that he takes joy and connects it with a Pleroma um, verb or, or, or noun. So Paul does talk about fullness of joy at least four times. And we can look at those, and we will look at those just now. But the Apostle John makes a much greater use of this tandem. The Apostle John makes a greater use of this tandem, including several of the Lord's usages that are not recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. And so John is recording these things. And I think John did all his writing after Paul did all his writing. And so Paul didn't have access to all this, but John certainly did. And so we'll see John 3, John 15, John 16, John 17, 1 John, 2 John. And in all these passages, he's using pleroma language, fullness language, connected with joy, saying, make my joy complete. Or what is a fulfilled joy? And you should see what we're dealing with there. So uh, the Paul usages are, are fairly short here. Romans 15, 13. Do you remember what Romans 15 is all about? It's a whole lot of greetings and there's a whole lot of uh, kind of, it's almost like a, a, a preemptive ending to the book with a, an extra chapter added on at the end. But uh, verse 13, Romans 15 says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And so there's fill you, play ra'o, with all joy, kara, 
and peace in believing, irene in pistuo, so that you will abound in elpis, in hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Faith, hope, love, the greatest of these is love, they're all right there. And this is what uh, the God of hope does. He fills you with all joy and peace in believing. Second Corinthians 7, 4. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. So there's Paul. He's using the plerao verb connected to joy and says his cup runneth over. He's just bubbling over with all this joy because um, he's now been reunited with Titus and he's, uh, he's thrilled. And then 2 Timothy 1.4, Paul's final epistle before he dies. Longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Paul talking to Timothy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I am sure that it is in you as well. Isn't that fun? When you've been in the ministry long enough you start to see the grandkids of the grandparents who used to pastor. (laughs) And they all got old for some reason. All right, so those are Paul's uses. But John, oh my goodness, does John go above and beyond? When you look at John, uh, and, and most of these you should know, right? John 3, 29. I bet you when we turn there, you're going you're gonna to know every single one of these. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. John the Baptist couldn't be more happy that his, he was out of a job. He, he was brought on this earth to announce the, as the herald of the Christ. And there he is, you know, like Ed McMahon. What do you do when you say, here's Johnny, and then Johnny walks out, you're kind of, you're done for the night. You, you've, that's, you had one job to do, okay? That was a long time ago. People don't know what I'm talking about. But <coughs> John the Baptist had one job to do, to announce the Messiah. And he did, and he was thrilled. His disciples were grumbling because they were losing they were losing people and they were all leaving John and going to Jesus and John was thrilled. You know, he must increase and I must decrease. This is great. So his joy was play raw and made full. How about uh, John 15, 11? These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Wow. Are you trying to have a full joy apart from the joy he's given you? Yeah, good luck with that. Okay, No, my joy in you and that your joy may be made full. John 16, 24. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Try to have a full joy without a prayer life. John 17, 13. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. His great high priestly prayer there. All right, two more. 1 John 1, 4. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And 2 John 12. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face 
so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Remember, this is the letter that's written to the chosen lady and her children. All right, so there it is. Uh, We're going to come back on Sunday and pick up with verses 3 and 4 related to the kenosis. Let me just, we've got six minutes, a little early. (coughs) Thank the Lord my voice held out. Um, Let me just show you why verses 3 and 4 look forward, not back. Because originally I was going to put verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 all together in a development and start the next development with verse 5. But the, um, we have the fourfold uh, chiastic structure in verse 2, and that completes the concept of verses 1 and 2. When we get to verse 3, where we're transitioning from the, the early exhortation to the next exhortation, and so it says, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, and that's a, that's a participle, that's kind of hanging there waiting for something else to, to follow. But with humility of mind, regarding one another is more important than yourselves. Again, it's a part of simple. It's hanging there. It's looking forward. Not uh, looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Hanging out there. Okay, you see that? All of this is just a suspended string of context. It's all a suspended string of context that all introduces think this way. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. So, you know, if uh, some authors are like this and some prefer to do this, and before they get around to their finite verb, they just, they lead into it, they lead into it, they lead into it. So, uh, and, and you're kind of waiting for the main point to, to come and uh, hoping you don't lose that main point because you're distracted by all these other things. So, Anyway, that's uh, what we'll deal with on Sunday. We'll show verse 3 and verse 4 as process that leads up to verse 5, which is command. Have this attitude in yourselves. Think this way. Because if you don't think this way, God's going to spotlight that. He's opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That's, uh, that's why we're here. All right. Father, thank You for tonight. Thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You for all that You do day by day, moment by moment. Father, I thank You for brothers and sisters that are hungry for truth. And uh, we call upon your faithfulness, Father. Um, got some other prayer requests tonight. You know what they are. Deal with them to glorify your Son. We thank you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty. Keep your armor on. We will see you.